thank you for receiving me today. Um, and I wanted to mention this. I mentioned it as the first service. They're the ones who helped me get it started and, and going because since my wife passed away uh, eight months ago, uh, and some of you remember her being here, um, we've had a tough time, as you might imagine. My daughters miss their mother, their son, our son misses his mother, and I miss my wife. And, um, uh, you know, I've, I've staked my entire life on a truth that says that a, that a man or a woman can be saved and their sins forgiven and that they can go to heaven when they die. I've staked my entire life on the gospel message, and I think many of you have too. And when it says that when you are absent from this earth and from your body and you're present with the Lord, I believe that. And that's brought an incredible encouragement to me uh, in these times because it's the truth. Uh, there's, there is a Savior who does provide uh, a home in heaven uh, and then provides grace for us to live every day without her. Um, there is a grace from God, an ability that is not our own, that comes from the heavens, that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so um, thank you for receiving me today. And, uh, and be- this is kind of a first, technically the first service was the first, but you guys overall are the first because this is my first uh, preaching, teaching event since Gail passed away. And um, I've, I, I told some of my friends I feel a little wobbly um, because last time I was here, she was with me. And we shared our, our teaching together. And so um, I'm thanking you for the safety that you are creating for me. So uh, I appreciate it very much, the first service. And now you all are expressing that very well to me. And it's very dear to me. Um, um, when I want to in influence and impress my realm of, in of influence and my sphere of influence, I drop the name Rob McCoy. Um, and if they don't know who Rob McCoy is, <laughs> I say he's that pastor out in California who ran for office and just kind of stirred things up, uh, not just in California. Uh, he created no small stir technically around the country uh, relative to the stands he was making, and he was just taking care of his own bean field. Okay, I learned that from him. He has mentioned that around here, hasn't he? Um, Thank God for a, a righteous man who will step into places of unrighteousness and deliver biblical ethic. And so um, that's a, a great thing for us to know them. And also thank you for sending them, that is Rob and Michelle, out to Gail's memorial service. They came and were a part of that um, uh, just as attend attendees. They just uh, were such an encouragement. And they came over to the house afterwards um, and these are just, what an encouragement all of that was to have them there. And um, I had a Baptist preacher at the memorial service. He's like 75 years old. He, had, he and Gail had befriended one another through the years. He says, I've done a hun hundreds of funerals. I've, done, I've been at hundreds of funerals. But he said, that was the most God-glorifying memorial service I have ever been to in my entire life. And uh, matter of fact, uh, we've got it online if you want to take a look at it. It's an hour and 20 minutes long. It's at gailmcwilliams.com slash memorial. So if you want to go take a look, I think you will see it as God honoring. And um, my daughters designed it. I basically just showed up when they said so. And uh, they did a great job. Uh, I might say, uh, Gail wrote two books by the time, uh, between the time she was here last 
and the time she went to see the Lord. And I brought one of the books with me. It's called Hope Sees Beyond Obstacles, Challenges, and Disappointments. And I think you'll find it interesting if you want to pick up a copy. Um, we use the, um, the sales of these to pay for Gail's radio show. She is literally still on the radio, 200 radio stations around the country. Um, thank God for the techni- technology of recording. Um, because she, she recorded 430 two-minute radio shows through the years. And so we rerun those every two years. That's the intention. And so uh, I think there's a couple places in California that, that get it, but uh, that's about it. Otherwise, 200 radio stations. And so anyway, this book will help pay for that. But if there's anybody in the room you can't afford a book or you just want to pick one up and walk away, that is perfectly fine with me. Okay, um, but uh, so you can just write a check for whatever. There's a basic price on it, but also if, uh, if you know somebody in the room that doesn't have the courage or the means to go get a book, go get one for them, okay? Uh, so we're here to hopefully be a blessing to you for the glory of God. Uh, James chapter 3 is where I'm going to start. If you've got a Bible or it ends up on the overhead, that'd be great. James chapter 3, verse 13 and following. And by the way, This Bible you open up, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit, I am depending on Him to make a difference in in our minutes together. Anybody with me on that? I am depending on the Holy Spirit to use me, but to also talk to you in spite of me. Um, So pay attention. I've I've trained my children through the years. uh, When they hear a preacher or a teacher, I, I, I say, now what did the preacher leave out? Okay? That makes you think a little deeper. You don't just take it face value. You actually are listening from a perspective. You're listening from a biblical perspective, which forces you to know your own Bible. Well, amen on that one. Know your own Bible. And so I've, I've challenged my children. What did they leave out? That doesn't mean uh, that's not because I'm trying to turn my children into critical individuals. I'm just saying, pay attention. Pay real close attention. And that's what I'm thanking you in advance for the attention you're giving me today. But James chapter 3, verse 13, um, he who is, who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Um, And then the last verse. I'm doing this from memory because I actually don't have it up here. Uh, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Did I get it right? Okay. My daughter one time almost had an automobile accident that could have been incredibly fatal. Aren't you glad I said almost? How many of you have been in one of those almost situations? Uh, they're not fun. And if you remember, um, the, the interstate system has this four lanes of highway, right? And, and they all are one way. Whoops. I guess I better learn, go back to driver's ed. But then there's this service road. Anybody know what a service road is? And it usually goes in the same direction as the interstate. And that's true if you're close to the big city. And I'm from DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth. I live on the north side. And this is the way the system is done. 
But when you get further out into the country, good old Texas country, um, what happens is these side roads, these service roads become two-way. Anybody following me? They become two-way. And so if you get out there, the rules are different, the, the riding rules, the, the driving rules. And so if somebody is exiting off the interstate, this person coming from this direction on the service road has to yield so that they can come in and make their way onto the road. Okay. But my daughter forgot that one. And she almost had a wreck. I mean, it was like everybody's winding around each other to try to prevent an accident. And this guy's got to be going at least 60, maybe more. And she did not see that. She was incredibly wrong. Okay, you can imagine the feeling that happens in the pit of your stomach when that it's happened to you. You made some kind of mistake or somebody else made a mistake and you knew you were in danger for a split second. Maybe you called on Jesus' name. Maybe you didn't. But you were glad that you're, you're past that situation. So she's past it. She's continuing down the service road. And she realizes all of a sudden by looking in a rearview mirror that there is a truck like on top of her following her. Same truck that had made the exit and almost the accident. Guess who's mad? She pulls in to a parking lot, vacated parking lot. Business is out of business. Now, when she tells me this, she's 18 years old. Dad interrupts the story right then and there. (laughs) Don't ever do that again. If you find yourself in the same situation, go where there's people. Okay, by that time, maybe the guy's changed his mind, but at least if you go where there's people, she was actually headed to pick my son up at school where there would have been plenty of people. Okay, so she pulls in and the guy pulls in right behind her. He gets out of the truck and he berates her at every low level that you can imagine in anger that she had almost caused an accident. Did she almost cause an accident? Was it 100% her fault? Absolutely. Now, there was also another person in the truck, a woman, a wife, a girlfriend, I don't know. And he's berating her. And she finally is just kind of semi or all the altogether embarrassed by the action of this boyfriend or husband of hers. And so what she sticks her head out the window and says, come on, don't do, you know, quit it. You know, let's go home type of thing. All right. Now let me ask you a question. Who is the absolute most dangerous person in the three person scenario? the rage guy. Okay. Now you think, well, your daughter's kind of dangerous herself. Okay. But let me ask you this next question. Who learned the most from this three person scenario? She did. Okay. He's the most dangerous, but who's in the most danger. Now I'm glad you said that. I didn't have to convince you of it. Did I? Because you know something about human nature. Because you know what? Everybody is on a walk through life looking for a way that works. Anybody like to do stuff that works? But based on our verse, the word wisdom is included in there. And I'm going to mark out the way and I'm going to put wisdom. Because really, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a wise way to live life. You're, li- you're on a walk through life. You're looking for a wisdom that works. And I submit to you that the angry road rage guy was tapping a wisdom. 
that he had discovered and had developed very well. Isn't the verse I just read you? Isn't it, doesn't it address a wisdom that is, does not descend from above? That would be a wisdom, right? But it's just not a wisdom that does descend from above. He got it someplace else. See, everybody is on a walk, and everybody thinks they have wisdom. Okay? And that it works. So let me ask you, if this were to ever happen again, he gets cut off in traffic maybe. Maybe not even as bad an infraction. You predict for me what he will do again. Same thing over again. Why? That's his frame of wisdom. It worked. Matter of fact, he walked away from my, from the situation with my daughter. Thinking what? I was right, and he was right. That's one thing about, you got to be careful about being right. I've told people, say, well, it must feel good to be right. See, so many people are so focused on how right they are, they forget about the wisdom to deliver that rightness. Because even rightness has to be delivered appropriately. Righteousness has to be delivered appropriately. He was right, but, to, but he walked away saying, I'm right, and it works. Because was there a policeman there? I wasn't there. Matter of fact, have you, could you imagine being the dad, you gentlemen? Can you, being, if you were nearby and your daughter just got pulled over by this guy, where, what kind of wisdom would you start in on? Now, I wasn't there, and I'm kind of a mellow personality, but you just wonder. You just wonder. Don't you wonder about yourself? When you dig deep down into the self, into you, when you dig deep down inside you, and you pull up something, what will it be? What will you find? What will you use? What works? Okay? One time I had a deacon in my church. I was a pastor for 13 years in Illinois, and we didn't know this at first, but we found it out. He liked to beat his wife. I found out about it. Now, this was not, I'm telling you a very long story, very short way. Okay, so you can imagine this was a long ordeal because, you know, you want healing, you want restoration, but there just came a day this pastor had enough. So I pulled my Chevy van up in front of their house. When he was gone, me and my wife, she got in, she put her three daughters with her. On the way out of town, we bought three bicycles for the three girls, and we took them three states away to deliver them to some relatives. Okay? Now, why does a man decide that that is what he wants to do to the woman he loves? Somewhere along the line... While he's taking a walk, he embraced the wrong wisdom. And it worked. That's interesting about abuse in general. It works. It controls. It subjugates. Doesn't it? You can walk away from a situation like that and pat yourself on the back like the road rage guy. Say, hey, that worked. <laughs> I'm cool. But the thing about it is, 
the same, the same anger that he used as an adult, some children have when they throw a fit in a public place because mom won't let them have candy. Did you want me to go there? Because what is the little boy that's four-year-old maybe, what's he looking for? He's on a walk. He's looking for a wisdom that works. And he's experimenting. So he throws himself and throws a fit. And what does he get it? If he gets his way, what's the message? This works. If he doesn't get his way, then the message is it doesn't work. You spend much, a lot of your time early with your, earlier on with your kids helping them know what works and what doesn't work. Mothers, have you said to a child in a kind of a semi-angry moment, don't you think for one moment that... Now, wait a minute. You're just controlling his thoughts. But you should. Because you need to help his thoughts think godly wisdom. What's right, what's wrong. You need to help him think that through. My children, to this day, if they were here right now, they could almost repeat verbatim what their mother told them in conflictual times. And it went something like this. I did not go into the bowels of death and have you just so you can walk your own way. (laughs) Any mother ever said that in this room? You need to say it more often. Something like that. Now, anger, the, the, the wrath of man, it says, does not work the righteousness of God. But there is There is a way to allow anger in without it becoming the demonic thing that it can in some people's lives. So yes, your parental anger can be a righteous anger. And when you start putting your foot down like that, and boy, my wife said that more than once, and they could almost repeat it verbatim back. My children understood that. My wife, um, as many of you remember, she was visually impaired, legally blind. She never liked the term legally blind because she said blindness should be illegal. I loved her personality and her uh, sense of humor. Um, But she couldn't see. And it had been that way for 38 years. Her entire marriage life. We got married in April and December 25, Christmas Day, she woke up blind. Okay? Now it kind of varied over the next few months, but something was wrong. We finally found out. But anyway... So that was life. That was life at the McWilliams household. Okay? Not not something I would wish on anybody. Uh, But some of you, you've gone through struggles and things. They're not pretty. Um, But we've got a Savior, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a a Redeemer. And so we we depended on Him through the years to help us through. And um, she, um, we were at Costco. You got Costco here, right? So my son, he's 11 years old at the time. He wants to get a piece of pizza while we've gotten done shopping. So we park our cart and we park Gail. Okay, because she would take our arm and just flow with us. We sat her down at a table and the rest of us went and got in line to get a piece of pizza. And Gail describes the story as trying to listen to the sounds. She's, She's not looking at people. She can't see people. And she hears the sound, but she hears this sound of a woman that's cussing, as she put it. And she's, oh, that's, that's not pretty. And so she's just kind of sitting there listening to all this. And 
you know, whatever the woman is angry at, but she, she's in the language she's using, which was not, not good at all. And she's just kind of tolerating it, you know, and sitting there waiting on us. In a short while, she hears her son, my son, Connor, 11 years old, talking to the lady that's cussing. And he says, ma'am, she can't see you. What was happening? Now, if you remember you that met Gail or knew her when she was here three years ago, her eyes look fine. Okay, so she's sitting there. She's staring this lady down. (laughs) But she doesn't know it. And so the lady starts, she digs down deep into who she was and pulls out what works. And she starts cussing her out. And she didn't even even know she was being cussed out (laughs) until it became obvious later. But 11-year-old recognized what's going on and intervened and got it back on track. And the lady said, tell your mother I'm sorry (laughs) type of thing, you know, and, and moved on. Why do people do this? Why do they go on a walk and find the wrong wisdom that works? Because they have given no regard to a biblical ethic, to a Judeo-Christian worldview, to, to the redeeming Savior who wrote this Bible that this church loves. So maybe we should get our Bible out more often. Maybe we should listen more closely to what Pastor Rob has to say. Maybe you should get your own Bible out and find God's ways, God's principles, God's wisdom. And then maybe your life will get a little more stable, a little more stronger, a little more healthy, all for the glory of God in the final analysis. But most people do all these things because it works. But it only works in their own mind. It only works in their own mind. And that's the idea of idolatry and iniquity. Um, How many of you um, know who Dr. Phil is? Okay, now I bring it up with reticence and risk because some people like him, some people don't. But the reason I bring him up, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring him up except for the fact that he's the person who has basically introduced and made popular the idea of, how's it working for you? Okay, he asked that question of people on his, his TV show. And one time I watched him while he was interviewing a, an abusing husband, and, I, and the wife was sitting on the other side. She was not sitting next to him. She was sitting on the other side because he was an abuser. And so he asks, that is, Dr. Phil asked the man the question. After all this discussion about abuse, he then says, how's it working for you? And the man answered like they always answer. It doesn't. That's the, that's the answer he gets, Dr. Phil gets every time when he asks the question. Only for him to say, Of course it works for you, or you wouldn't do it. There's an insight here that I think is biblical. Now, maybe he doesn't do everything biblical on that show, but that one issue gets our attention because this road rage guy, he needs to know, he needs to answer authentically, how's it working for you? Because the fact of the matter is, it's working so well that he ends up doing the next thing. Because if it works, then it's worthy. It's worthy of time, attention, thought, mental process. But there comes a day when it's, no, it's not just worthy. 
but you worship at its altar. So much so, you can hardly get people rescued from that situation. Have you ever heard of inter- interventions? At people trying to rescue somebody, but sometimes you can't get, you can, maybe you can get them out of a place, you can get them away from a person, but you can't get it out of their heart. Well, if you spend so many years on a walk and you got the wrong kind of wisdom and it works, and then you classify it as worthy and, worth, and worthy of worship, then it gets start, start ingrained in you. You get an entire culture that thinks that way. How many of you know it doesn't take much of, for us to turn on the news just now and find something that is false, idolatrous, and it's, and it's a wisdom that's not from above? You can, you, it's, it's in political realms. It's in mental realms. It's in every way that you can imagine. So if we've got this idea of what works and what doesn't work, let's consider for a moment the second commandment. Do you all remember the second commandment? It's actually in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. And the Sunday school version of the second commandment is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. That's the Sunday school version because that's the shortened digest version. The actual uh, verse, the second commandment is three verses long. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting, what? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So there's both an ominous side of this verse, and there is the promising side of this verse. But let's be honest with both sides. How many of you know that every battery in, in, in every car that was uh, driven to church here today has both a positive and a negative pole? You got to have both. So let's, let's be honest with both the negative and the positive. So I'll start with being uh, honest with the, uh, the negative. What is an iniquity? An iniquity is a permission slip to do something, especially if you get it from your father. Okay? You, it says that the iniquity of the fathers will follow the one generation after, after the other. Now, by the way, don't turn this into something sus, uh, where it's, sus, it's a suspicion on your part, where you think, this is just weird, and, you know, I don't know what to do with that. And I'm going to explain it really clearly in just a second. But you have to imagine... My relationship with my dad, I had an incredibly great relationship with my dad. And one day, a day he died, June 25th, 1999, I pulled my car up in the front of his house at the garage, and I just thought about him for a second. And I could not think of one time that he had ever used bad language. Not once. Now, by the way, in case you think he's a saint, I can list you some other things that make it real clear, he was a very good human being. He, was, he had his flaws, had his weaknesses. I know what they were, okay? I'm one of the best people to know what those were, but I could not think of an ever, ever him doing that. I asked my sister, my, who's 15 years younger than me. She came later in life, and my mom was 38. My dad was 41, and they were really modest people. They didn't even want to know I think my mom thought it was embarrassing to be pregnant at 38 or something. And so she didn't, she kept it a secret for the longest time. But then when it finally came out, it came out at church and my dad had a nephew. The the nephew's actually the same age as my dad from an older brother. And so he came up to my dad and he said, Hey, I heard about it. You have an accident. Now I'm 15 years old, not quite. 
And it made my dad mad. Now I'm, now I'm watching this. It's like, this is the 15 year old perspective watching my dad. It's like, he didn't want his child to be called an accident. And as I think back on it, I kind of was barely paying attention then. But as I think back on it, I thank God for that kind of an attitude. But I asked that sister, did you ever hear dad? Because, you know, she came in later in life and, you know, things change. And so I had my 20 years with dad and then she had her 20 years with dad. And I wondered if it'd be the same dad. And I said, did you ever hear dad say any bad words? She said, yes. And she told me the word. And it wasn't even profane or blasphemous or dirty. It was actually just a bad name you call somebody. Okay, it was just a name you call somebody, a really bad name. I said, okay, what else? And she said, that's about it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, based on the sheer power of my dad's example, I can't find permission to use bad language. Now, I know I can't find it in the Bible. Give me an amen or go me. I know I can't find it in the Bible, but I can't find it from my dad. But you know what I did? I gave myself permission to start using bad language. See, you can't blame everything on dad. And yet, dad makes such an incredible influence on a life. Does he not? Whether you hated him or loved him, the impact is still real and, and downright penetrating. Why? Because he's the most authority, authoritative person in the world in your life. Even if he was the worst, he's still the most authoritative person. But I gave myself permission. If I want to sin, I'll just sin. I don't need dad. But do you understand what's my point? My point is our example is so powerful. But at the same time, we have to answer to our God all by ourselves. You have to answer to God for the life you live. And you can't say, well, dad was this way. And that's why I'm this way. No, that doesn't work. Are you impacted by him? Yes. Could he have compromised himself in such a way as to create a permission slip for your generation to compromise yourself in the same or similar way? Yes. All the more reason to pay attention on this planet. Why? Because we're all on a walk. We're looking for some wisdom that works. I got to have something that works, but it's got to be built on biblical ethic, on Judeo-Christian worldview. Yes, definitely needs that. Remember what? Remember about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Let's talk about a family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham goes into Egypt to get, rid of, get uh, away from a famine, and he tells Sarah, tell them you're my sister. Remember the story? What was he thinking? He was thinking, they'll kill me and grab you. So tell them you're my sister, and they'll leave us both, they'll leave me, leave us both alone. Well, of course, that didn't work out. Didn't work. Huh, didn't work. Matter of fact, he would have called it a white lie because if you remember, Sarah was his sister by his father. It had the same father. I don't have time to explain that. <laughs> there is an explanation for that, a very reasonable explanation. 
So he thinks it's a white lie. But he wasn't concerned about telling them about sisterhood. He was interested in protecting his own life. Okay? Then he goes into a, to Gerar, a city or, or an, an or area that's uh, the king is Abimelech. Guess what he tells Sarah to do there? Tell them you're my sister. He repeats it all over again. Well, it kind of worked, kind of. So he tried it again. Okay? Isaac, his son, gets married to Rebekah. He goes into the land of Gerar to the same king. Abimelech is still king. And he says, Rebekah, tell them you're my sister. Now, where did he get that? He had a permission slip. He cashed in on it when he was fearing his own life. Okay? And that's not all. Um, Jacob, the next son, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Anybody know what the name Jacob means? Supplanter or deceiver? This is not a good start. (laughs) He tricks his brother out of the firstborn blessing in a deceptive sort of way. Then he marries uh, Leah only because she was snuck into the tent. He's not marrying into a very productive family here. They also are deceptive people. He ends up with Leah, then Rachel. Then they're leaving town or they're leaving the the father-in-law's camp and going to go do their own thing. And Rachel steals the idols, the golden idols, and she sits on them in the wagon. Laban comes running after, say, so you stole my stuff. And she says, it's that time of month for me, and I'm just sitting, I can't get up. Well, she lies, she steals, and she deceives. This is not, this is an interesting family. Okay, Jacob then has some sons, several sons, one of which was Joseph, the favorite the visionary, the dreamer, but his other sons don't like it. So what do they do? They take him out and they intend to murder him, but instead they sold him into slavery. Then they take his multicolored coat and bloodied it with the blood of an animal and then brought it back to the Jacob, their father, and said, he got killed by a wild animal. Is anybody seeing a pattern here? Okay. I want to submit to you that just like the, in the book of Titus, where Paul said about the Cretans, he addressed the Cretans. Titus was on the island of Crete, and there's an island to this day called Crete, where the Cretans live. There's 500,000 of them to this day. So we're not talking about the modern-day Cretans. We're talking about the Cretans of the Mediterranean during the time of the New Testament. And he quoted a prophet, a, he quoted a Cretan prophet, The Cretan prophet says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, how would you like to have the responsibility to announce that a certain people group, maybe your own people group, so you know we're just a bunch of liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, Paul took a great chance, but he had apostolic authority, and plus he wanted to see the gospel get into Crete and change lives, so what did he do? He said, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke an entire people group? Isn't the very first word out of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark? Repent. The Gospel is no good without repentance. 
If it's just feel good and you aren't, you aren't honest with, with the things you need to repent of, then you're just not honest. The first words out, and that's what the, that was what Paul was saying to them. Get rid of the liars, evil beasts, lazy, glutton mentality. He wasn't saying get rid of the people. He was saying get it out of your life. How does an entire people group, and by the way, if you study this, the entire Mediterranean region understood that about the Cretan people. And by the way, I got to make this clear. There's a word Cretan that's spelled C-R-E-T-I-N. It's not the same thing as Cretan, C-R-E-T-A-N. And the reason I have to say it is because Cretan with the I-N on the end means idiot. Okay, now, if you've given yourself to being a liar, evil beast, and lazy glutton, you're pretty close to idiot. Okay, but that's not what it means. And the reason I learned that is because I get these emails from Mike Huckabee, and he uses Cretan a lot. Uh, you might imagine why. But anyway... <laughs> Cretan, the person Cretan, gained that kind of a reputation. How does that happen? One day, Mr. Crete wakes up and decides, I'm going to not go to work today, and I'm going to, I'm going to lie that I'm sick. Junior Crete wakes, wakes up one day after seeing his father do that for many years, and he calls in, he lies, he stays home, he eats too much, um, and, and so he does all that all over again. Then the grandson, Crete, we're, we're surprised he's even got a job, but he's got one, and he goes to work, and he's lying, cheating, stealing, evil beast. And by the way, the evil beast concept, it's not at all pretty. Okay? Some of us know liars. Some of us know gluttons. Some of us know lazy people. But some of you also know evil beasts. Very unflattering concept. Matter of fact, it's probably connected to perverted sex of every kind. So these weren't just liars and people who eat too much. These are people who gave themselves fully to sensuality and to demonic activity to the point that an entire generation, one generation after the other, had given themselves to that until an entire culture was inundated with it. And that's why in this culture, ladies and gentlemen, you must help the cause of Christ and make your stands on things biblical and know what the Bible says ethically for the glory of God. There's a redeemer on the, on the throne, ladies and gentlemen. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has redeemed us. How many of you wouldn't be so very far removed from liar, evil beast, and lazy glutton if it wasn't for the intervention of a merciful Savior? Yeah. You can predict your future unless Jesus helps come in and intervene and, and rescue you. You and I have been rescued by this great God. So, why do people do this? Why, why did the, the Cretan population do that? They do it because it works, but it only works in their own mind. Eating too much works. It's true today. Don't eat too much. Um, by the way, last time you saw me, what, three years ago? I was graying at the time, and my hairdressers were saying, Dad, let it all out. Oh, Dad, yeah, that would be, the, that'd be my daughter's. Let it grow, let the gray happen. And, uh, and I was also 40 pounds heavier when you saw me last. Okay? I feel so much better. But guess what? This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If we treated this body like a temple of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't eat too much. I know you didn't want me to go there. But... <laughs> But I found grace to do it. And it really is from the grace of God because I've loved my 
my food through the years. Okay, so why did my deacon friend beat his wife? Do you know why? Because it works. Oh, you wanted some deeper answer. But you know my theme now, right? But it only works in his own mind. Why do people have road rage? Because it works. But it only works in their own mind. Why do people have such anger and cuss out a blind woman? Because it works. But it only works in your own mind. Why are people lazy and procrastinate? Because it works. But it only works in your own mind. Well, let's get political for a second. How many people, why do some people believe in socialism? Because it works. But it only works in your own mind. Oh, let's throw in evolution. Millions and billions and millions and billions of years. I take the risk of making an enemy in any audience I speak this. And I don't want to be an enemy, but you have to make believe that you believe evolution. And that's what idolatry is. It's make believe. I'm trying, I'm trying to finish this. Honestly, I am. How many of you, some people believe, why do some people believe a fetus is not a baby? It works. But only in their own mind. Why do I mentioned this earlier. Why do children throw a fit in public? Good works. And that's, unless you can jerk the slack out of that and why do, why do people, how many of you, I talked about obscene language a minute ago. How many of you can't even keep track of the amount of obscene, profane, blasphemous language in your place of work and or on television and in the movies? Can't even keep track of the quantity of it. But do you know why they use it? It works but it only works in their own mind. Um, why, are, why are people control freaks? It works, but it only works in their own mind. Why do some, po- believe, some people believe that your own works will suffice to get you to heaven? This is a grace message, because they believe it works, but it only works in their own mind. It doesn't work in real life. Why do people have guilt complexes? Because it works, but it only works in their own mind. How many know I could take the political realm all alone and spend half a day? Because there's so many politicians, and I'm for what Rob McCoy does. I'm for that 100%. Because at least there's somebody walking in the door who's trained himself in a higher wisdom, a higher ethic doesn't mean he'll do it perfect. It just means he'll, he'll draw on something different than the rest of the people might be drawn on. He'll be, digging, he'll be digging down into the depths of who he has become as a man of God in his generation and find something that will really help people. That's what I'm excited about. One time a guy named John came to my office and he said, 
Um, he said, I'm getting married in a few weeks, and my dad beat my mother, his wife, all my life. And I'm concerned that when I get married, I'm going to do the same thing. First of all, I commended him for being insightful enough to think according to an ethical standard. He wasn't all the way there yet, but he was closer than most want to get. I said, well, thank you for bringing that up. Thank you for putting it that way. And while we were talking back and forth, at the same time, I took out a half sheet of paper and I'm writing something on it while I'm talking to him and I'm giving some of the same insights that I'm giving you today. And I got done writing and there came a point when I could hand it to him and I said, here, read this. And so he read it and his name was John. His, um, these are fictitious names. His, his father was George. And it says, I, George, give my son, John, permission to beat his wife and abuse her in every way possible like I did to his mother and my wife in my generation. And then I signed his father's name, George. And I handed it to him. And I said, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? Because his father had written that very message to him by his life. And this man was sitting in front of me, a born-again, loving Jesus person. Do you think I'm not going to challenge him based on biblical ethic? Indeed, I was challenging him on biblical ethic. And I was saying, okay, what are you going to do? Now, you and I have all been delivered a certain amount of permission slips through the years by generations gone before, and we've even forged our own. What are you going to do with those permission slips? Are you going to submit them to biblical ethic and biblical morality and do what that young man did that day in my office? He tore it up, and I threw it away for him. Now, this could be just so much psychology here today, or this could be this man of God saying to an audience of people who love Jesus and want to walk in his ways and in his wisdom, they want something that really works. This could be just so much commentary and lecture, or it could be a room full of people admitting that I'm right, not because I know everything, but because I've said enough today to bring to attention many of the pains and struggles that you have had as a direct result of writing yourself permission slips or getting one from a previous generation. Now it's time in him, in him who saved us, who died for us, who redeemed us by his shed blood in the name of him who we adore to say no more. And if you need to throw the images that are in your head out, you can, and you have my permission in the name of the Lord to throw out the images. Notice I use the word image. Remember the second commandment? You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Where do carvings begin? In the mind. You don't take a block of wood, you know, somebody who makes an image, you know, in deep dark Africa or on the Amazon someplace, they don't take a block of wood and hammer and chisel and they make something. 
oh, hey, that's, that, that looks like something that's worth wor- worshiping. No, they already know in their head what they want it to end up being. Because they're already worshiping in their head. They're already giving themselves to that compromise in their head. They're already giving themselves to that immorality in their head. That, man, that manipulation that makes them less of a person than they really could be if they'd only would just tap the right wisdom. So don't be, be like my friend John. And, I, and, I, gotta, and I, I need to put this all on the table. I hadn't seen him or heard of him and his wife in 12 years' time. And I'm going to tell you both a sad and a happy story here. I called her Friday because I knew I was going to be teaching this here. I just wanted an update, and I didn't know what I was going to hear. I, I might have been, I might, well, it was just, I just didn't know. And I, and I found, I, I, she, worked, she was working at the same place that I remembered her last time. She'd been there 13 years. I call her up, and she'd been remarried. I said, oh, man, what happened? You know, you always want your counseling sessions to kind of prove uh, effective, right? Uh, but I thought, man, they're no longer married. They're divorced. She's remarried. She talked to me with such respect, and she said, what you all talked about in your office 12 years ago, we didn't have any problem there. We had other problems, which she told me what they were, and they're neither here nor there relative to what I need to talk about. She said, but that man became my best friend. Not my abuser, my best friend. And I'm on that level... I miss him. He didn't turn into an abuser. He had other problems, other idols that needed to be brought down, and they just weren't for whatever the reason. She gave me his phone number. I hope to call him. I, I thought about call. I was going to call him in the airport on the way here. I forgot the phone number. I, w- I would give you a full report, right? But you know what? Don't we all need Jesus every second of our lives? Not just to address big problems like I'm addressing here. And my dad, when I was sitting there in the driveway thinking about him that day on June 25th, 1999, just outside the windshield up above the two-car garage was a large sign that my dad had been hanging there for years. It was nine feet long, 18 inches or so tall. And that sign said, in small letters, in this house. And then in bigger letters, Jesus is Lord. This is a house that's two, two houses from the main hospital where I was born. Main thoroughfare, people go through there all the time. This wasn't some back neighborhood. And I sat there and I thought, how valuable is that? How valuable is that? And by the way, it wasn't just a sign. It was a life. My dad loved Jesus and I knew it. When he got turned on to Jesus, he actually went to 
churches where they had altar calls. And I was the little 11, 12, 13-year-old kid in tow. And guess what? Jesus started convicting me of my own sin that I need to live for him. It was incredibly uncomfortable. But it was life-changing. All because there was a sign hanging on the heart of a man that said, in this house, Jesus is Lord. It wasn't just on his garage, it was on his heart. And really, that's what's interrupted the iniquities that I've been tempted to take the direction of. That's what's detoured me away from sins and iniquities and compromises. Oh yeah, I've blown it along the way, but I've blown it a whole lot less. And so have you, if you didn't have the Lord Jesus Christ, if you didn't have him working in your life by the Holy Spirit, it's made all the difference in the world. Why? Because somebody has hung on our hearts in this house. Jesus is Lord. How valuable is all that? So ladies and gentlemen, I'm encouraging you, continue your walk. Would you please try to find the right wisdom this time? It's out there. It's in the word. Glean it, reap it, embrace it, kiss it, love it. It's wonderful because it works. I mean, it really works. It really does work. Matter of fact, the person who gives it to you is so incredibly worthy, so incredibly worthy of every level of worship you can give him that in the final analysis, they'll never take it from you. Matter of fact, Revelation says they'll take people's heads from them before they'll take Jesus out of their heart. Wow. So go ahead, take a walk for Jesus, bring the wisdom of God with you, and it's going to work for you. It will. It might be slow in developing sometimes. Don't you wish we could just all get to perfection really fast, but it just doesn't happen. But there is a sense of excellence that takes place when you give Jesus your all. Everybody with me on that? Lord God, there's a work of God in this place that I believe is by your Holy Spirit. And I'm asking you to drive home these points I've made and even those that I've not made. And I've asked you, God, will you please show yourself incredibly powerful, incredibly kind, and will you love these people to places of, of repentance if needed and of places of wisdom as well. So show your wisdom to them. Give them new commitments to the ways of God and to the wisdom of God in their generation. I thank you, Lord, for helping them to balance it into their lives and be the kind of men and women they need to be for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now I'm asking God that you truly do help people in this room to make Jesus the Lord of their life. If there's anybody in the room you've not making, make Jesus the Lord of your life ever, or it's, it's kind of in question because of the kind of conduct you've given yourself to. Um, James is asking you, who is wise and understanding among you? And you're not able to show by good conduct that your works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Instead, they're done some other way. They're done with another kind of wisdom. I'm asking you to submit yourself right where you're sitting there. I'm asking you to sit right where you're sitting and saying, Lord, I want your wisdom. And even admit that you don't know the wisdom if you don't. Just say, Lord, I, I want to discover your wisdom. I want to know your ways. I want to walk in the ways of God. Go ahead, just say it right there with just, just sitting there with you, between you and God. Say, Lord, I want your wisdom and I want Jesus Christ to come into my life. I want him to be the Lord of all I say and do and who I am. 
So Lord, we welcome you to do this work in every human heart in this place. Thank you for doing it in Jesus' name.